29,927 teacher fatalities. The public school system has been reduced to a battlefield. But the Board of Education has just found a solution. The perfect solution. You're next, Mr. Cope. For the class of 1999. Where are you? The class of 1999. We're supposed to educate the students. Battle droids, Miles. Battle droids. To graduate is to survive. Welcome to Midnight Flex, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I'm one of your hosts, Pat Mitchell. Joining me every week is the ever supportive Adam Walker. Adam, thanks for uh, hopping on the mic to talk about a real doozy today and a follow up to. Uh, an episode from last season. Would you consider me a man's ear or a bro in in the way I support you? Your supportiveness? Your... I <laughs> 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 uh, man's ear. I will go. I'll go That's man's ear. The classier choice, I would say. So thank you. Speaking of class. Hey. Ooh, hey, we did it. <laughs> That was early. Class of 1999 is uh, tonight's episode. Of course, the follow-up to Class of 1984, which we did last season. Um, Boy, is this a departure, though. (laughs) Is it, though? It is and it isn't. Um, We can can get into uh, the differences um, in a little bit. But... You know, we always like to kick off these uh, episodes of season three with our our newly crowned game of Stump the Chump. Um, do you want to play, my man? Do you want to play? Come out and play. Do you, do you want to play a game? Stump the Chump is uh, a game where... You have to guess uh, the the name of an actor by his filmography, which I give in order, and you have sixty seconds. <clears throat> I um, would say correction: his or her or they them's. Just to cover our yes, cover our collective gender. I mean, there's m- many more, but let's for the, for the bare minimum. There we go. Proceed. Yes, their filmography. Um, Getting a stopwatch up. Are you ready? Sure, let's do this. 
Last week, because it was Rudger Hauer, you decided to skip some of their um, foreign stuff. I'm going to choose to skip this individual's 70s stuff and start right in the 80s. Here we go. Okay. We begin with Mask, 1985. The Blue Lightning, 19... No. The Blue Lightning, 1986. Fatal Beauty. No. 1987. The Quick and the Dead, 1987. The Shakedown, 1988. Roadhouse, 1989. Houston, 1989. No. Sibling Rivalry, 1990. You're close. I think you have the wrong name. 30 seconds. Yeah. Rush, 1991. Tombstone, 1993. Gettysburg, 1993. Blue River, 1995. 20 seconds. Final Cut, 1995. The Adventures of Mowgli, 1996. The Big Lebowski, 1998. 10 seconds. Fuck, it's that guy. I thought it was Sam Uh, Houston. That's not his name? No, you've got the right the right first name, wrong last name. Three seconds. Sam, oh, fuck. Yes, you're right. Um... So one minute is up. Final guess. <laughs> Sam Houston fought at the Alamo. Yeah, I know. This person did not. <laughs> Why am I? F- it's too early for this shit. Because I know this motherfucker's name. Fuck. What's his last fucking you name? Do. Sam Damn Elliott. Elliot. Damn it. I'm. God damn it. I'm just, I'm, I'm well, a quarter in a coffee after I just woke up, so. Consider yourself stumped. Well, kind of. Partially stumped. Yeah. Okay. That was a no. Well, now you're 0 and 2. That was a no brainer, though. So. And I have no brain. You're 0 and 2. I'm 1. I'm 1 and 0. Undefeated versus the winless here at the Stump the Chump headquarters. You're the champ of the chumps. Champ of the chumps. <laughs> Not saying much. Well, um, to get into uh, tonight's episode, though. Um, I'm very curious because this is uh, an interesting movie. It's a movie that I've only seen once and I only saw it because of last year's 1984. I decided to watch the watch the sequel, which is tonight's movie. Um, and I'd never seen it before. And I was so blown away. I was like, this has got to be an episode for next season. So I'm very curious to hear your initial thoughts off the top um, of class of 1999. This movie was dumb as shit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell if that's bad or good. You know, with me, it's a little bit of both. Mm. I'm, not, I'm, I'm seeing judging, judging by this initial reaction. I'm actually fucking flabbergasted <laughs> that you didn't just unequivocally, unequivocally love it. Yeah, I. I think I've noticed that I, I feel some sort of way about Mark Lester. And I'm trying mm. to untangle mm. this with his movies. So we'll have to do Commando because I haven't watched it in a while. I started watching it. I guess it's been a couple of years at this point. I, started, I rewatched it, but didn't finish it. So I want to see if there's some sort of thread, common thread in Mark Lester's films that... Commando being one of the very few Schwarzenegger movies we could probably do on here. I think it fits the bill of a midnight flick. 
um, or, you know, our definition of such. So, yeah, that that's probably true. Wow, I'm shocked. Um, my initial reaction upon rewatch was that this is like one of my favorite movies ever. I love it. <laughs> I love this movie. That's so great. I love I think it's I think it's right in the sweet spot of the movies that we talk about. Obviously, I like I lean more towards these like big budget flops, but this one has like uh just enough of a budget to kind of pull off a lot of these like grandiose ideas yeah. that it kind of has in it successfully. Right. So it's not like on the bottom of the barrel uh college project for a couple thousand dollars and it's not like uh something that was pushed for like 25 million that made nothing it's kind of right there in the middle of the sweet spot i i think it's i agree um with you (laughs) where it's it's fucking big dumb fun (laughs) for me so maybe you know it was just big and dumb for you whereas i think it was big dumb and fun it had fun don't get me wrong. There was not, there was no point where I was like, fuck this movie. It really, it has something to do with, again, whether I'm misinterpreting his intent with creating this movies, or I feel like this dude is trying to go for something and he's kind of missing the mark. Which we can get, mm. we can get into later. That's really what it is. I think so sure. because you know when we watched Class of 1984, I went into that again similarly, where I really liked that movie and I still do, but I, I I came away from it that time after we watched it for the pod, being like, but there's just some stuff about it that makes it <laughs> so. The writing is so bad <laughs> that it, it kind of made me feel a sort of way that it kind of tainted the movie overall. I, I, because I, I looked at it with different a different set of eyes. So I think maybe some of that prejudice that I had kind of accumulated with Class of 1984 carried over in, into this. We'll suss this out in the discussion. I- yeah, 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 of course. I thought that, um, you know, I thought that because the class of 99 kind of strips away a lot of the like after school special of 1984 and leans hard into like more like camp territory that I thought by stripping away those sort of qualities that that you that you would have enjoyed it more because I think that's what was both of our hangups with, with 1984 was um, it is uh, a lot more staunchly serious. And that movie feels like it does have something to say. Whereas this one for me, I don't, I don't, I think they've kind of stripped away any sort of after school special message in lieu of just batshit fun. But that's just me. Yeah. So um, I thought maybe that's that would be a quality that you would have uh, would have liked because it's it kind of took away what our gripes were from class of 1984. But, um, yeah, I'm interested to talk. It about certainly it. leans that aspect up a lot more significantly. I'll say this without going further into it. Yeah. 
Sure. Okay, well, um, a much-needed plot description, because I feel like this isn't a a well, <laughs> well-frequented movie for most. Um, so let's paint a picture here. The year is uh, 1999. Um, designer drugs are named after U2 members, apparently. Um, so hence why all the kids are snorting some kind of nose drug nicknamed Edge. Um, American high schools have spiraled out of control and are run amok by youth gangs, resulting in schools being shut down. Um, Special areas known as free fire zones have discouraged police from entering out of fear. Seattle's Kennedy High School is in the middle of one such free fire zone where two major gangs are vying for control, the Blackhearts and the Razorheads. Um, Thus, the Department of Education Defense, nicknamed the DED, hilarious name, uh, has partnered with Megatech head Dr. Bob Forrest to roll out these experimental former military robots turned android educators. Uh, and hilarity ensues. Um, in terms of money made, reviews, there's a real convoluted and ultimately boring story behind the distribution of this film, which it basically amounts to the movie being hot potatoed around between a number of different studios, which affected both the theatrical and home video release for it. But ultimately, uh, it had a $5.2 million budget and grossed $2.4 million, so only made about half its money back. Uh, I found one real, <laughs> real sycophant over at the Washington Post, um, Richard Harrington, who reviewed the movie when it came out in 1990, uh, said, quote, class of 99 gets a D for dumb, dull and derivative. So that's fun. Yeah. Um, so if when when whenever you have a scathing thing to say about this movie, I'm going to call you a, a real Richard Harrington. <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> missing but the but please, here. he goes on to say, I, yeah, I go ahead. say, please use lots of alliteration, though, while you do it. D for dumb, dull, and derivative. He goes on to say that um, director Mark Lester, who made Class of 1984 eight years ago, is borrowing from from himself. The latter was just a punked up version of the original rock and roll high school film, Blackboard Jungle. For this new venture, Lester has simply tacked on elements of Westworld, Robocop, and Terminator in a blatant attempt to enroll the action faction. Um, I've made this uh, comparison before. I'll make it now, and I'll probably make it again on this podcast. But there's an episode of The Simpsons where Martin Prince is running for class president against Bart Simpson. And uh, Martin is hanging posters in the hall that say, a vote for Bart is a vote for anarchy. And Bart is hanging posters in the hall that say, a vote for Bart is a vote for anarchy. (laughs) I feel like this this is a good parable, though. Like, when he says taxon elements of Westworld RoboCop and Terminator in like a, a derisive way. I I'm like, yeah, he tacked on all this fucking cool shit from all this other <laughs> shit. <laughs> like I'm all about yeah. it. I'm, yeah. Like it's dumb, dull. I wouldn't say dull. Certainly not no. dull. It's dumb. And I don't even know if I necessarily agree with derivative, but it's definitely dumb. Yes. And that's why I like it. I think it's super dumb and fun. Um, so for what it's worth. I think everyone is shouting the same thing about what this movie is and, you know, whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing is up to the the person shouting, I suppose. Yeah. Anything else you want to throw into this gumbo before we get into it? No. Uh, 
<clears throat> that that is one thing I will say to at least not give you the full impression that <clears throat> I dislike this movie because that's not the case. Yeah. No, you feel you sound uh, torn. It, it's dumb fun. The final act is a real whopper. It's just there's a central there's a central plot hole or tenant to it, to this, and it was the same with the class of 1984 that just really hangs me up on just the whole the the structure that this movie relies on. If it just it's so flimsy that it just I can't get around it. It really hangs me up with with the, this and its predecessor. That's all I'm going to say. Otherwise, yeah, it's a fun movie. Definitely. I personally enjoy way dumber fucking movies than this shit. So, but it's just this central aspect that really nags at me while I'm watching these movies, these Mark Lester outings. So that's what I'm going to say. Okay. Yeah. Great. Richard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the good, the bad, and the questionable. with the good um i don't know where i want to start i i do have a lot of good i i i truly really loved this movie a lot um i'll say to start with the cast really pulls the weight of what would have been just an average movie in different hands but not just the heavyweight names that are associated but we might as well start because we haven't mentioned this yet but this has got malcolm mcdowell pam greer stacy keach i mean it is stacked with with uh who's who of of b and exploitation people um but i i honestly think you know outside of the heavyweight names that cody and hector and angel are all like well-acted characters and that i think from top to bottom this was actually a well-acted movie for how uh how stupid the movie is i like that these you know the characters were taken seriously and i you know i think it's actually really well acted which is surprising don't forget our girl pam greer i said pam, pam oh you greer. did damn I'm yes. really out of it right now. Wake the f- wake the fuck Jeez, up! I need Jesus, I need to get another Christ. couple cup, <laughs> cups of coffee in me. Yeah, we get a C- cup of cock and cup of cock, <laughs> cock, <laughs> um, Yeah, we get another Mc- we get another McDowell. Two da- two McDowells. 
spelled differently. What was what have we done with him? Roddy. Already? We get we had Roddy in the first one. He's he's in what? Roddy's in nineteen class of nineteen eighty four. Oh, I thought you meant okay. Yeah, yeah. But we get a di- I thought you meant we did another movie with Malcolm no, McDowell, and I didn't realize get, you were talking about. Cla- we get a okay. different yeah. McDowell, different spelling, different movie. Yes. So two okay. two different yeah, yeah. McDowells, same series. That's all I meant. Yes. yes. To confuse you even more. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thoroughly. But um, you know, outside of outside of that, I do think it's better acted than 1984. Because again, not to keep saying the same thing, but uh, 84 has like after school special acting vibes from some of those, yeah, <laughs> from some of those individuals. Whereas I think this leans heavily into into camp and B movie territory, right. um, which I think is is fucking great. Um, I, I said this earlier where where I mentioned that this was a stark contrast in, in stark contrast to um, class of 1984. The premise is is quite a de- is is not that much of a departure. But I love that Mark Lester completely revamps like this concept instead of just rolling out another like carbon copy of class of 1984. They both kind of exist in the same vein of this futuristic dystopian punk fever dream thing but are kind of presented in two completely different ways like 1984 is obviously a little bit more serious and then this one's like to say like uh an insane fever dream of (laughs) of of the future would be uh putting it lightly this is the this is the uh come down from the the coke party We've talked about that before with movies like this, you know, where this is this is yeah. a <laughs> this is us sweating the coke out of our bloodstream and the results we get from that as well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and given the year, people were on the come down from you know it's 1990, yeah. so the excess of the 80s is kind of wrapping up. So this is an interesting year for this movie to come out. Um, and to look ahead a decade, basically, um, in its vision, um, <laughs> is, is interest is an interesting play. Um, but I want to, I want to hear some of your good though. That, that was just what I wanted to start off with. Um, but you can piggyback off of those or add to, uh, I have, I have lots more obviously, but you can throw in here. We'll give a shout out to Stacy Keach's sweet rat tail in this. It, mm-hmm. it, it, oh, yeah. I don't know if it's I mean, it's definitely a rat tail, but because it just kind of it's kind of a, a yeah, tapered aspect of his albino wig. It's it's yeah, he's uh, got like grade school bully vibes. He really does. And the contacts, <laughs> which that was another that was um that was rather prescient for because this movie was actually made in the late 80s and finally released in the 90s. So in the, you yeah, know the early 90s yeah. but remember that trend in the 90s with villains that wore uh wild contacts like last action hero and that was a thing mm-hmm. so you know we were entering this phase from you know the coke parties to the to the rave and e and, and ketamine parties with 
wearing the yeah the starts the starts that a little early yeah with the fake contacts with the wild contacts i remember the first time i saw that when i was like really you know i was probably 12 or whatever and you know when you're in really getting into the prime like making bad fashion choices phase of your life you're like dude i want to get some of those contacts i want to get a contact with a smiley face on it looks like a badass <laughs> i'm gonna get my <laughs> my ear pier- like- my uh my uh or my uh eyebrow pierced and wear a smiley face contact hell yeah <laughs> This is the only that's the only thing that this movie predicted accurately, actually. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> was was that sort of fashion. But but yeah, it, it's uh it's definitely a look for Stacy Keach. Well <laughs> no, give credit where credit's due. It does kind of predict the further militarization of schools. That is definitely something that did ramp up up to now. But and I thought it was interesting. This is called the class of 1999 and Columbine happens in 1999. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> Mark Lester. <laughs> what did you know? What did you know? And when I, did you know uh, it? Let's see. 15 killed in Columbine. So uh, this movie has a higher body count than Columbine. Shit. Fucking Dylan Klebold. Come, Come on. on. Couldn't even couldn't even match up okay yeah what else what else you got we got our <laughs> my dude darren e burrow aka ed from northern exposure everything that movie everything that guy's in uh i just think of him as ed from northern exposure and it's not even that i particularly like northern exposure it was a movie uh, fuck i am fucking up today it is a show that i watched when it was on and it was fine. It was an f- enjoyable f- comedy. But that guy will forever be Ed, the kind of dingleberry yokel from Northern Exposure. He does a good job in this. Never seen it. I know what you're talking about. Though. Yeah, he's just kind of he plays like the like the town idiot in Northern Exposure. What's he in this? Would you say he he's, was? Um, he's fuck. What's his fucking gang name he's he's angel and, and cody's brother that gets a uh, murked oh, sunny. sunny he doesn't really have a gang name yeah he's a dude that he's he's no, he's, yeah. he's, a, he's an edgehead bro and then the you know yeah, he gets he gets right. taken out by the old man android which well, um, put a pin in that put a, a pin in that for later anyways go ahead Okay. Uh, is this being a Seattle-centric movie accurate? How accurate was the Seattle vibes in this? It's completely filmed in Seattle, which was c- pretty cool, actually. And it, But, like, watching it, is does it, uh, you know, from an outsider's perspective, I don't know Seattle from fucking anything. So, does this look and feel like Seattle? Well, considering that it was made 30... Four years ago, definitely does not yeah, resemble. It's crazy to think doesn't resemble that. the Seattle of now. That high school, though, if it's the one I'm thinking of, I've definitely been by that high school. Um, and you know the the shots like during the gang war by the by the port by the um, shore. Yeah, the pier by the pier. Those all definitely look like Seattle. 
but you know, it's like, it's, and, and, and even when they go to the apartment, that all looks, it, do, it, it does look like, it looks like it could be LA cause they originally were going to film it in LA also. So it looks like parts of it could be in LA, but you know, they're just, they, they just, they shoot close-ups enough of some of the areas that it makes it ambiguous. There is a spot where they're going. Oh, I know where it is. It's during the the motorcycle chase when the androids are chasing Cody in their Ford Taurus or whatever. What a cool android car I have, right? Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. They're driving their Ford Taurus to chase him down. And um, you get shots of what is the now uh gone has been has been um torn down the um the uh 99 viaduct so that's a that's a snapshot of old seattle history that the viaduct got torn down like a couple years ago and it was much too uh Mm. it was much uh i don't know it was bemoaned by some of the residents here because the thing about the viaduct was it had a really beautiful view when you drive around the city, cause you just got like this kind of, um, unimpeded view of the, of the ocean from the viaduct, but you can get a, you get a snapshot of that. So yeah, there's definitely areas where you can be like, Oh, that's definitely Seattle for sure. Cool. Yeah. Would you say that, would you say that you could describe Seattle as the type of city where the streets have no name? See, I'm a big edge head. You're, you're bringing out the edge. You're ed- hey, you're edging me. You're edging me real close. But sorry, I'm not. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> Ooh, okay. I'll I'll warm you up. Um, I need that fucking Black Hearts hat with the spider logo that Cody is rocking throughout the movie. I that is a fucking real choice artifact. I I. Need to look that up. When Are we you get being off serious? You talking about his t- top hat? Yes. His top hat, fucking Stevie Nicks look. Okay. No, you're talking about uh, one of the stomp extras. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Cody, who's the main character in this movie, and he wears a Blackheart's hat with a spider logo on it. He wears the the cap backwards. Oh yeah, that's movie. right. You're right. He does. He does have that cap. Sorry, I was getting mixed up. There's definitely a. There's definitely. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of fucking Stevie Nicks uh, scarves and top hat vibes to the Blackhearts, though, and we'll get it. Well, let's litigate we'll the uh, punks then. Okay. Oh, you don't want to do no. it now? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I will say, <laughs> fine. If that. we're on the subject, if we're on the subject. I do think that the Razorheads look kind of cool. They would definitely be the gang that I would want to hang with more. So, yeah, I mean, we can we'll we 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 always have this uh, punk litigation. Uh, we'll open the the <laughs> punk people's court in the, in the bad. Then we could save it for that. That's fine. Um, you mentioned it earlier, but the fact the the final act of the film where the gangs unite to kill the the battle bot teachers. What an insane sentence <laughs> is. A perfect 30 minutes. It's like, it's perfect. It's everything I want out of 30 minutes of a movie. I fucking 
love it. It does. It's. I see where, you know, uh, old Richard was talking about being derivative. There is a lot of aspects that are like, you know, akin to Class of 1984 because, duh, it's the fucking sequel to it. But this like final battle at the school, I like that it kind of flips it on its ear. Instead of the teacher going in to yeah. fight the a gang of students at the school, the students are uniting to f- to fight a gang of teachers at the school. I love that little little flip. And not to mention that basically everything that happens in that thirty minutes is is fucking just awesome from a special effects, practical special effects point of view. Just like everything about it is is awesome. Yeah, I agree. I love that final act. It's super fun. The Android effects look really good when the Bryles, the Bryles bot 2000 <laughs> is fucking awesome. Like, I don't want to get it twisted. Like it's, it's like the wish.com of Terminator, really but is. they totally pull it off. Like it's great when he's crawling out from yeah. the school bus. Um, and he's like, it, it, he just, he punches through Stacy Keach's abdomen. Like, I love the from Bryles bot pulling himself out from the school bus and then just decimating motherfuckers and then them uh, ultimately killing him is is some great bit of business and some really cool uh, practical effects going on here because we are on the precipice here of people starting to use uh, more digital effects. So this is like one of the last vestiges where practical effects were the only thing on the table at the time yeah even the effect of showing him having the mechanized turret gun for an arm it looks actually like his arm uh, i don't know how they pulled that off but pam greer's arm like it melts down and is a flamethrower um yeah his uh briles (laughs) bot is a has got a turret gun. Um, the third teacher, Harden. Uh, Harden's got like just some like weird, like phantasmic looking mechanical claw. Like it, it literally, when I say phantasmic, I mean like from, from phantasm where the phantasm ball shoots into someone's forehead and then just spirals yeah. out guts. Like that's literally what this, this claw is designed to do. It's fucking awesome. And I love that all three have like their own unique weaponry to them. And they're like humanoid arms melt off to like reveal the shit underneath. It's, it is fucking great. And I didn't know if we were going to get all that, uh, the way the movie was going. Cause they kind of show bits and pieces, but nothing really too wild. And then it seems like they were just saving it all for the final act. Yeah. Of course, I have questions about all of this, but suspension of disbelief. I love that you have questions about the dumbest fucking movies. <laughs> like, how do you have questions about a fucking movie with robot substitute teachers? And you're like, well, I don't know about the is the school reform really up to snuff in this movie? Like, I don't <laughs> I do you, have, you have serious questions. I can't believe no, it. Of course I don't. I have questions. I have questions. I do. I have, I have no, seri- too, no, obviously. no serious questions, but I do have questions for the sake of our, why, why we talk about this fucking movie, but I'm not going to. Yes. This is a bloated question. Heavy movie for me for sure. But we're not there yet. So anyways, staying on task. 
Speaking of the yes. robots, the androids, you know what we get? We get sweet robot titty. And I and I we do and and I which uh, yeah, I like the fact that they were so dedicated to the phys- physiology, the anatomy of these robots, that they even created a robot with a t- a nipple and an areola on a tit. It's uh, it leads to one of my favorite one liners. Um, but yes, I love it. And to piggyback off of that, I uh. Love the fact that Pam Greer is not afraid to like sully any sort of vestiges of her career by being in whatever the fuck she wants. Like, you know, on the come up with like black exploitation stuff and then like being kind of revigorated uh, through, you know, um, Quentin Tarantino stuff um, to this, uh, like, this is a career and a filmography that shows like I just do whatever the fuck role I want and I I don't care like what it makes me what it looks like. I'm not like out here to collect Oscars. So I love that uh, about her. Oh yeah, she's great. I love her so much and she's even stated that she never had any problem with nudity or sh- nude scenes or sh- showing her tits because she's she's was simply like why not you know why do we make such a big deal about the naked body you know so i'll show my tits i don't care which is why she showed her uh metallic robo tits in this (laughs) right (laughs) fuck you pay me i'll show my titties fuck you pay me which i love um I, i wanted to say that this movie also from the jump and i've expressed this in numerous films and especially when it comes to films like this, what I want is I want action from start to finish. And this is one of those movies right from the get go. Bam, 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 all the way to the end. You get you get your money's worth for sure. Yeah, three, three big action set pieces. Um, one being the at the beginning when uh Cody is driving in the wrong side of town on, you know, in the other gang's part of town. Um, and so there's a little car chase scene there. Uh, you get the the um, battle at the pier between the two gangs, um, where I don't know where you land with that, but that's a pretty fucking tight little action set scene. Um, you know, they they actually were. Th- that scene went down in history as Sunday, bloody Sunday. <laughs> there we go. I didn't know, I didn't know I like, if you I like knew to that. Keep bringing as a, the background. Being a big, yeah. Being a big edge head. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, a lot of blood was spilled on that Sunday. And then obviously the third uh, uh, big action set piece being at the end at the school. So, yeah, it, it just moves through these various incarnation of sets. Um, and I, I love that about this too. It, it does. It is a movie that just moves. Like I wasn't ever like, when are they going to get to the killing? <laughs> yeah. You don't have to worry about that ever. So yeah, no, not, not in this. Um, any more, any more good. I, uh, I had dude from the Dream Warriors in my good, but he's also in my bad. 
So I don't know. I guess I'll just save him for the bad. Bradley Gregg? Is it the main guy? Yeah, Cody. Cody Culp. Yeah. I So, okay, we can talk about Bradley. Um, I like Bradley Gregg in this. Like, I think he's great. Um, you know, I think this is a better, obviously, it's a meteor role than uh, than in Dream Warriors. But, like, I, I think he does a good job of... I was going to say leading man. He's more like leading, leading boy here in this one. But, but I think he does a good job. Um, but I actually like him a lot. And I think he's, he's kind of dreamy in that late eighties, early nineties way. So he did, <laughs> I think that's what they were going. He, de- for. he definitely gives off teen beat vibes, teen bop, teen, teen whatever. Um, Bradley's Bradley's outfit is the only one of the punks that actually translate into today's fashion. Like I could see somebody wearing that outfit to a show like is like striped shirt. Uh, it's a weird it's a strange outfit, but I could see someone like sporting it, whereas everybody else is like on Broadway. Like He's the only one that's like not Broadway punk shoulder pads and epaulets and all. I could see, I could see his his outfit in terms of the act, the aesthetic of it translating. Whereas everyone else in this is uh, straight out of breath. Yeah, I worked a show last night where there was a few people in attendance that gave off some some Blackheart vibes, some some Cody Culp vibes. <laughs> the backwards. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned. Oh yeah, well that too. Yes, of course. Over the yeah. top vibes. Um, we didn't even mention that that Angel, played by Joshua John Miller, is in Near Dark, which is basically like outside of Near Dark. I never saw him ever again. So it was nice to know that he was in this, too. Oh, I was going to mention it, but it was going to be later in a different category. <laughs> you hated him in Near Dark and you hate him in this. His fucking face, dude. He has. Well, Let's have a Joshua John Miller corner. Is he aging inappropriately? I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> he definitely always gave off progeria vibes for sure. Sorry, dude. I know he eventually, you know, he he grew up to be a fine looking man from what I've gathered. I've seen adult pictures of him. Did he? He looks he doesn't he doesn't look like. I don't know. He doesn't look. Like his face is about to like droop off and he's mal- malnourished in a weird way when as an adult. I just looked him up. He looks he just looks straight. He kind of gives off fetal alcohol syndrome vibes a little bit. Yeah, he's <laughs> he just seems to be aging inappropriately. Like he seems to be like uh, there's a show on TLC about this girl who like stopped aging at 10, but she's like 25 and like trying to date. Yeah. And it's like a red flag for uh, it, it, it's got to be like dating for her. has got to be like to catch a predator, like just throw her out there. Um, and we could we could pretty much end uh, pedophilia here in the in this country. But um, she, he just feels like he stopped aging at a certain like 12 or whatever, um, but is actually 40. Like, that's what he looks like. He would fit in really well with the cast of uh, Children of the Corn. Right. That fucking yeah. Isaac or whatever. Yeah, Isaac. Um, the, he's, he's got 
whatever disease Isaac is inflicted with. You ever seen you ever seen the movie <laughs> Burial Ground? It's an Italian zombie movie from the seventies. Uh, it sounds familiar. Why? It's nuts. It's insane. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if it would be a movie that I might choose for this. But it's got this guy in it that plays a child. And it's got a pretty gnarly, notable, infamous scene in it that I'm not going to mention for those of you that haven't seen it. But those of you that have seen it, mm. you know what I'm talking about. But this dude that plays a kid, he's a grown man in it. And he, he just looks like some weird mutant alien child um that definitely yeah has again like progeria something's going on there like they they might have some sort of uh arrested development genetic disorder joshua john miller definitely yeah, doesn't like, have that but he has the, the the look and he will forever be frozen in my mind as being that little shit in those movies in the 80s in the early 90s because yeah, he was in Near Dark, he's in this, he's also in River's Edge. He was also in an episode of Highway to Heaven, which another it's one of those random fucking bits of trivia and pop culture things that has just embedded in my brain since I was like eight. I remember him from that too, so he's just always he always plays some grubby little fucking shit. Just surly little shit. That, and, that. and he looks as an adult like missing chromosome Jack Osborne. Yeah, <laughs> he just he looks like Jack. He looks like Jack Osborne. Only there's just he's just dead in fat, the eyes. I don't yeah. I don't know how to describe fat it. lip. Orphan Orphan is another good example of this. Yes, of this idea of an adult passing as a child. That is a orphan is a awesome modern. Uh, horror movie that is I think it came out like 2009 that is like horrific conceptually and like the actual execution of it was was terrifying are you talking about um, the Guillermo those are the del, best kinds del of movies Toro produced movie no that's uh, the orphanage that's the yeah. orphanage okay yes then yeah. I haven't seen orphan orphan is a totally different movie about, and it's a true story about a couple who adopted a a child like a foreign child from an orphanage and it turned out the child was actually like not a nine-year-old girl but a like 20 some year old girl (laughs) and it and it is terrifying Um, okay this does sound familiar yeah i think i had heard about this I'm glad we had our Joshua John Miller discussion. We had it was a long time coming, but yeah, he's in this too. Um, I was I was uh, delighted to see it because I just I like Near Dark, and I don't have any real gripes about That's him or his performance really in that lip, droopy eyed, surly I little. Gri- I can't gripe <laughs> about somebody's like what their fucking f- like their punchable face. Really. <laughs> no, he's he's okay. I can't hold that against. Yeah, them. me bagging on him being a fucking bully and bagging on the way he looks. That's obviously that's, that's bad taste. He's a fine actor. He does well enough in every movie. He's in. I, <laughs> he just has, he has that face that you just want to just because of the roles he's played. Also, you just want to really just sock it to him, man. And anyway, sure. so there you go. I, I agree. I don't, I don't disagree. Um, 
Okay. Well, I we we can move on. I uh I could talk about more minutia that I really loved, but um we can we can move on to the bad. Okay. Um which is fine. I do have I do have bad. Uh, it wasn't all good, but I even though I had a great fucking time. Um so the bad. Uh where do you want to start? Cuz you probably have more than I no, do. I actually Although don't I do have quite a bit now that I'm looking at it. I, oh, okay. I, I didn't because, <clears throat> well, I already started it because I was kind of just, I was teeing it off with talking shit about Joshua John Miller. And then I kind of mentioned, do you want to, I was going to say, I, I, I kind of mentioned it with, I'm not sure how I feel with, with Cody. I don't, I don't know how I feel about Philip from the dream warriors. I kind of put him in the bad. You just seem like indifferent and or torn about uh, all aspects of the movie. <laughs> like you don't really have like a you're not like you don't love or hate really any aspect of it because like you were just kind of like this was serviceable. It's it's, the, uh, it's that central tenant that I wanted to discuss that this rests on that if if you really think about it, you don't have to think about it hard. It completely this house this house of cards just falls in on itself for this movie. So bring it up now. We already talked about it in 1984 too. Okay, Okay. if high school really is like this, and these kids are really Mm -hmm. this big of shits, they're these fucking violent criminals. Why the fuck would they show up for high school? No fucking kid Mm -hmm. that is like this would go to high school. So answer me that, Mark Lester, not you, Pat. Answer me this, Mark Lester, because you pulled this shit in two movies, two times back to back. Answer me this. I want you to fucking email me (laughs) personally. How do you explain the violent, sociopathic fucking kids would want to go to high school? When they are free to come and go as they please. This isn't an institution that they're locked up in all day. This is where I think this story would be resolved. If you wanted to write this story properly, in my mind, figure out a way to make it so they are trapped. This is a this is a an institution that they are trapped in. It is it is a reform school. They can't fucking leave. But you make it so they can come and go as they please. They show up on time. They go to class. They hang out in class. They even deal with these insane robotic fucking, which they don't know at the time, obviously, these insane teachers spanking them in front of the class. And they still show up. Fuck off. They would never, ever go to school. There you go. There. That's why. This bothers me so bad. Write this fucking okay. properly. So this this fucking issue is not inherent to the script. So there is a well to tackle this. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. There is a part of this where um, they specifically only show Cody, but it is said that because of this experimental robo teacher thing, Kids are being <laughs> released from the maximum security prisons that they're in uh, under the contingency that they go to school. So, like, the only reason they can get out of prison is if they go to school 
um, and you know, through whatever parole that they're in, if they don't show up, then they have to go yeah. back. And they mention it right. very briefly. I, and I got else. that. That's a contingency. I understand that. That makes sense. And then the other part of it would just be, uh, I just think back on all the the fuckhead losers that I went to school with, and I'd always be like, what? like. Why are you here? Like being like, fuck, so and so showed up. I don't know what it is, but even the biggest fuck up shitheads just congregate to school because their, you know, X, Y, and Z buddies happen to be there and there's nothing to do during the day if, like, through whatever group mentality, a certain contingency of people go to school, it it almost is like a a herd mentality. More people will show up because, well, if so-and-so is in school, I'd rather be in school fucking around with them than, you know, on a Tuesday with nothing to do. So that's not a, you know, that's just my head cannon. Right. Really. And okay. And yes, same thought. I thought that cause I was a shit in school too, for a while. Why didn't I just fucking leave? Why, you know, it's, it's, you just still show but, up. It's, just, it's the indoctrination that happens when you're right. younger that is just follows. I you. gather that. I just read uh, Punishment and Discipline by Michel Foucault. It's this book about the development of pris- the prison system and, you know, dis- the disciplinary system in this country. And it talks about this indoctrination sort of thing that you're, you're describing where, you know, you don't need a robust sort of you know, penitentiary system all the time when you indoctrinate people in this idea that, you know, they need to go to school or go to work or whatever and stay in line. And that's, you know, it's obviously it's like it's a brainwashing mechanism when they're free to fucking go whenever they really want to. But you you make it a, a moral imperative. I understand that. But what I'm talking about is when the ratio of the kids is so large that they're so bad that they they effectively outnumber the disciplinarians and any of the the people that show up to just, you know, because they want to do what society expects of them, then that's where it falls apart. These kids don't need to be there. They, they, they outnumber everybody. All the bad shithead gang member kids, they're the majority. So why the fuck are you showing up? I mean, I and I guess, yes, and this is a discussion I had when I was talking to, to Charlotte about this movie is they're just there. Yeah, just for shits and giggles, like you were saying, I guess that's it. They just want to show up just because, yeah, all their buddies are there. They don't need to be there. But like, I guess when it gets to a point where, OK, they have even though it's a fire free zone. They have security there. They have maximum. They they have fucking, you know, they have foot soldier thug fucking security there that are, you know, taking their weapons and giving them fucking guff. I just it's when you have all these, um, I guess you have to go through all these systems of fucking hoops to get to school just to hang out with your buds when you can just do it outside and it wouldn't matter i just don't understand why you would ever go to school just doesn't make any fucking sense to me and to add to that why there would be normal ass kids there the whole premise that the new principal 
brings his daughter there. What? There's no fucking way that that would ever happen. This dude would not put his daughter in this school with a bunch of feral fuckheads. Now we're, yeah, now you, I don't agree and I don't see how like that ruined a movie with like robo substitute teachers. Like that was the thing that like tripped you up to the point where you couldn't like get into it. But uh, yeah, in terms of bad dads, yeah, the principal bringing his daughter to that school is seemingly insane. Um, I, I have enough headcanon to know that if the baddest dudes in the town are in a maximum security prison and they're being forced to go to school that everyone will fall in line because of it like i just i just think that if they're released from prison and everyone wants to be with obviously these dudes that went to prison like that there's nothing cooler than that in in this sort of situation that yeah everyone would fall in line because they're you know the ones they look up to the most are are forced to go and so everyone else kind of just falls in line but in terms of did they explain that no (laughs) is there any sort of yeah i agree i agree i just i bummed that it tripped you up so badly like that you were like i can't get past this (laughs) but yeah there's a there of course like it's fucking insane like it's just absolutely but I, i think the one thing i do agree with is we're in the bad Bad dad of the year award making his daughter go to the school. Um, that seems absolutely unconscionable. Well, and that's what I want to I'm, I'm trying to suss this out with you, because obviously I've watched movies that have more batshit, untenable premises, flimsy ass shit writing than this. There's just something. And, and just because something is like, um, just because something is nonfiction or or that it's, you know, this futuristic dystopian fucking uh, gonzo ass concept does not mean you can't critically be like, well, this conceptually doesn't yeah. make sense. There's a difference between in, enjoying something fun and, and it's still needing to hold water based on its own conceptualization yeah. like it needs to follow its own right. rules so i get it i'm not saying like why couldn't you just have fucking fun like that's not what i'm i'm saying at yeah. all it still is open to critique so i i get it uh it just didn't i agree with you it just doesn't trip me up because i'm like all right yeah but i need a reason for them to be there so the killing can happen so whatever like they're there uh but yeah i i I could I could see and understand. I guess I want to come back that it didn't. I like this movie. I, I feel we're kind of having a similar sort of discourse that we did with Combat Shock, where maybe you thought that I thought you didn't like the movie because of the discussion, or and you obviously didn't have as mm. big of a gripe with any central premise of the movie than I do. I like this movie. It's 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 a fun movie. That third final act. Sometimes that's all it takes. There'll be movies that I'll sit through the whole thing and I'll be on the verge of being fuck this movie. And then it'll get to a third act and something will happen. I'll be like, oh, all right. You got me. Antichrist. Lars von Trier. Prime example. Went and saw it in the theaters at the at Keystone Art Cinema. And I was like, fuck this. Same here. We were probably in the same yeah, theater. I, I think we talked about this where I get three quarters of the way through that movie and I'm all I'm on the 
on the edge of my seat about to leave not because of suspense i'm like this movie is a piece of garbage fuck you lars von trier and then it just snaps and i'm like oh okay this movie rules and then the whole movie made sense to me not necessarily saying that this we do we have talked about this because uh it's i i don't know how many times we've talked about this but i think it's funny because I went to see it at the same exact theater that you went to see it with limited screenings available. And it probably wasn't there for very yeah. long. Um, and I was on, I, you know, I was on a date with a girl <laughs> and there was only one other person in the theater and they were like seven rows ahead of us or whatever. And they stood up during the like clit yeah. cutting mutilation scene and they just stood straight up walked straight right. out <laughs> like they were done and so it's funny that you were like i'm almost on the precipice of walking out that would have been real funny if, if, we if i was those that people. movie together by happenstance yeah, yeah. no no but yeah you know. but that wasn't the reason <laughs> yeah. why i <laughs> wanted to leave enough. it was because no i that that wouldn't <laughs> be yeah that, thinking back that that's not what would have made you no. walk out so that's what made this dude walk out <laughs> <laughs> so i Something similar happened. I wasn't at this showing, but somebody told me when they went to go see Mandy and people were going in droves to see Mandy because it's Nick Cage. And, it, you know, it got this kind of mainstream sort of hype. And somebody said, yeah, we went and saw it. And some people in the middle of the movie just stood up and goes, y'all are a bunch of weirdos and walked out. <laughs> I like people that have to say something other way. Out. Yeah, that's like, great. Because film is such like a bonding experience. Like you feel like you're you as a group are watching it. Um, so I love yeah. that. I love that concept. I wish uh, Lars von Trier for *Nymphomaniac* uh, did not put, cut it up into parts for like the European audiences. So like people sat through like you know five to six hours of *Nymphomaniac*. <laughs> which is seems insane. But for the uh, US release, like obviously there's part one and two. I would have loved a, a six hour nymphomaniac at Keystone Art Cinema. That would have just been like, give me a catheter and some popcorn. <laughs> I'm like in <laughs> like that would have been fucking awesome. I love film abuse. I love being abused by by film. I have a real uh, <laughs> S&M fetish with film. Just like spank my balls with a studded uh whatever the wooden spoon <laughs> with a, for with six a riding hours. crop yeah <laughs> with a riding crop yeah a riding crop for six hours so um that just that gets that yeah, gets my 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 bit my big gripe out of the way there we go that's it and then we can move on with well to piggyback off of that that bad um, cause there, you did touch upon something I could have used a little bit more. Cause so when I'm explaining like this, you know, Cody's being released from a maximum security prison at the beginning of the film and the, and the, all the worst students who are being released from the prison are like, you know, made to go to school as part of like whatever probationary experiment that they have. Um, but I could have still used like even just a, a stitch of dialogue or something, uh, I kind of need to know why Cody's locked up in a supermax prison and is like intriguingly released with like this reformist attitude. Yeah. It's it's I was waiting the whole movie for it to be like a clerical error or like Cody took the rap for like Angel yeah. or something like that's like you I needed something that was like, why is he the hero of this movie? Like instead of getting absolutely nothing. Um 
it was it's like if uh, American History X started with Ed Norton being released from prison. And that's all we know about. Right. <laughs> Uh, can I get like some curb stomping or some like, <laughs> you know, some good old fashioned movie jail rape? Like, I, how do I know like what what took Edward Norton to that point? So, yeah, Ke- Cody is like the Ed Norton of this story, only with zero black and white footage to account for his history. Yeah, but I do think that that <laughs> scene of him leaving prison and, you know, of course, all the inmates are all like yelling at him and heckling him and throwing shit at I did think that was pretty tight. I like a good, I like a good prison exit scene. Yeah, so do it's, I. It's, yeah, so do the I. The prison's all, you know just on the brink of a full scale riot because of this one dude being so notorious. <laughs> I love it. I I I'm with you. I love a good prison exit too. Rounders being maybe my favorite prison exit ever. Where uh, which is funny, Ed Norton. Um, <laughs> Ed Norton, who plays Worm, just hustles a bunch of dudes out of cigarettes at a poker game. And Ed, uh, Worm doesn't even smoke. And and they're like, hey, you're being released. And he's like, got to go, boys. And they're like, Worm, have a heart. You don't even smoke. And he's, he's like, hey, you know, money is money in here. And so he and he throws away all the fucking cigarettes that he just hustled off of everyone in the garbage on his way out. Like, man, that's <laughs> a Cold fucking blooded. awesome prison exit. I love it. That's one of my favorite movies ever. Um, yes, that's a good. Uh, well, that's one of my bads to piggyback off of. Why are they going to school as a as a bad? Which I agree with. Yeah, and the dad principal, bad dad, bad principal too. Yeah, really. Bad. Again, another bad principal. <laughs> Ineffectual. Spineless. Right. That and that's a call back to 1984, where like, wow, the administration yes. is just yeah. awful. Just they just don't. Even as discipl- even if you wanted to be a harsh disciplinarian, you're not even good at that. It's yeah. just this waffle, no, this neither. waffling he's- middle ground where you were, you likened it to you know the Democrats like Nancy Pelosi high, where it's yeah, he's the Nancy <laughs> Pelosi of principles. Yeah, back with that. That's strange. Um, I was gonna say the. Uh, uh, at the top of my bad was was the song "Come the Day." <laughs> the closing track of this movie is a it real stupid fuck fucking that up piece too. of garbage. Fucked it up. It fucked up the theme song again. Just I just don't get ending these movies it, like this and Cobra ending on such a soft tissue fucking song. Like <laughs> I want to feel like I just got like fucking rock. Like <laughs> give me something. Well. <laughs> God, and that goes back to something I did have in my good that I didn't mention, but they did have Nine Inch Nails head like a hole as background music during one of the gang meetings. So if you're going to, you know, if you're going to have that right, why can't you why can't you begin or end this with some rocking ass shit, you know, and I I'm going to double back around to head like a hole because it's in my questionable. Um but yeah, I, I noticed that too. Uh, and so I looked up and so I I don't want to mention things that we haven't gotten to yet. But the dude that wrote that song. Mid, Midger. Midger. Yeah, Midger. Midger. He just kind of sounds like a special needs Bono too. Like it's just off. It's just a bad. It's just a bad song. You you two uh, chromosomes. Like it's here we so go back stupid. to it's so you two. This is a U two replete. 
episode. So much you two. I didn't even mean. I didn't even. I honestly did not mean. He's. It's because you know Midge Er is Scottish. I. That was uh, the other references to you two were intentional. This one was off the cuff. That so. guy, he's he's actually legit. And I don't know if you read he. I know that's why he's in my he's in my um, wiki wormhole. Yeah. So uh, and yeah. he was, but that song sucks. sucks and he my was ass. bummed. He didn't like the movie. He didn't like the song. He it's yeah. a it's a stain on his resume. <laughs> So, <laughs> um, also, uh, just a little like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it would be an error necessarily because they did it on purpose, obviously. But in the car chase scene towards the beginning, where Cody drives into Razorhead territory, a car flips over while chasing Cody out of town, and there is clearly a crash test dummy with like a wig <laughs> yeah. that's driving it when it flips which i love those kind of love, little yeah. things because just because they they had to have somebody in it i love <laughs> yeah i love glaring goofs we should do a glaring goof yeah, glaring category goofs. yeah glaring goo i like My that glaring goof. um any other bad other than that big bad that you had and these other little minutiae yeah bad. i had two ones is more of a, a stylistic design costume department choice and then another one is a um um a writing plot choice i really don't like the the punk dandy haberdasher new romantic look of the yeah we have to we don't like it we have to litigate the litigate the punks in this so we have um a valley girl punks Mm. We well, what did we say on a scale of Avril Lavigne to Gigi <laughs> Allen here? Um, they no one has met the scope of being towards the Gigi Allen department. I think class of 1984 kind of middled somewhere in the middle yeah. there, um, but leaned maybe closer towards the Gigi Allen spectrum. Whereas Valley Girl, we kind of agreed, was closer to the Avril Lavigne punk spec end of the spectrum. Yeah, these are in some weird like. Yeah, again, stomp or rent. Like, they're <laughs> just like, I could see them like parading around with brooms and like coming in and out of trash cans, like Oscar the Grouch, like <laughs> in some sort of musical fucking punk parody. Like, yeah, they suck. It's, it's between, awful. it's this continuing theme that we bring up. It's, it's either the gang, well, this is gangs and punks. But it's the gangs or the punks or or whatever hybrid of that of those two where the twain will meet. Hollywood just drops the ball so much. They just don't. It, it between the punks and the subway toughs, they just can't <laughs> seem to get this right. <laughs> where it's like, yeah, and yeah, the blonde. I was gonna go say where. You have a situation like the Warriors where they lean so hard into the comic book, you know, larger than life campiness of it that it's like, cool. All right. Yeah, I can buy that. There's some dickheads fucking dressed like mime baseball players as a gang. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. fun. But this is kind of half ass interpretation of it where. You can't get it right, though. You can't lean too far where it's like it's it's fun. It just seems goofball and corny. This is one of those situations. 
Broad, it's Broadway punk. Yeah, this, this is this is over. Uh, yeah, this is on the <laughs> this, Valley Girl spectrum of the, bullshit. the community theater punk gang actors. Yes, yeah, and I like the blonde punk uh, who's in the um, uh, which gang is he in? Not the Razor, the the Blackhearts. Um, that blonde one that wears the top hat, like that you were that you were confused with, uh, confusing with Cody earlier. Um, yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm sure they put that on them in the classroom and were like thinking they were drawing like Alice Cooper yeah. vibes when really it's like four non-blondes <laughs> vibes, <Right>. like, <laughs> like, whatever, that's fine. Um, <laughs> Linda Perry. Wow. You, you, think like you, you know, they nailed it. <laughs> you look like a tough Linda Perry. Yeah. Linda Perry. That was it. Yeah. They thought they nailed it. They're like. School's out for summer. We're going for this Alice Cooper thing. And then it's like suddenly she's got steampunk goggles on a leather top hat. And it's like, okay, this is not – this is for non-blondes territory. Okay, okay. And then I had one more thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Big missed opportunity with the ending. Spoiler alert. If any of you ever listened to this podcast and get bummed about spoilers, then wrong, wrong, wrong podcast. Um, but you know how we were talking about with Cobra, they had written in the original script that Monty was going to be revealed as the the actual. Yeah. What a great. That would have been sick. You know what would have also been sick? And I totally was expecting with this, that Dr. Bob was an Android. What the fuck? Okay. Earlier I was, I was like off the cuff discussion about something um because i could not think about what popped into my head when we were talking about with his uh with stacy keach wearing the contacts and everything that i'm so glad you brought this up i was gonna bring it up then yeah i'm so shocked so that I. was not a swerve how is that not a swerve i know right come on maybe it's so maybe because it's so obvious because of the contacts that they're like they the swerve was actually for him not to be one but i was so ready for um, like when you have Bryles bot, yeah. actually when Bryles bot kills him, uh, it, that's actually, I was surprised cause I thought Bryles bot was coming after the students or whatever. I mean, he's just coming after everyone yeah. at that point. Um, but yeah, I'm shocked. I, you know, or even you could have Bryles bot punch through his stomach and it'd be like all green yeah. blue and, and mechanical like shit. Like that would have been a cool, like what the totally. fuck? He's a robot yeah. too. Yeah, miss. I don't. We need to write these movie, fucking movies. Apparently, miss opportunity for sure. There, I was so. I, I thought I was so right. I felt so good about myself. I'm like that dude's a fucking android. I know it. I wasn't even like waiting for it. I was like, okay. I was like, okay, that is going to happen. <laughs> like I was like convinced yeah. of it. Anyways, well, I'm. I actually, you talking about a missed opportunity brought up one bad, one last bad to wrap up the category. Class of 1984 had Teenage Head, and this had a similar punk gig mosh scene thing, but they didn't get a band for a cameo for some reason. They like what the fuck? Like that seems like a that could have just been a, a theme of these movies. It's like, and we got like a fucking like Teenage Head isn't. They did, it's not like they got black flag for class of 1984. It's kind of cool that they had this like under the radar Canadian punk yeah. band. You know what I mean? Right. Like why couldn't they have gotten somebody for this? Like I'm not saying why didn't they get Blondie, but they there's a million fucking bands. They could have gotten, you know, 
X or the Germs or like there's just so many bands that they could have gotten. I don't know. Oh, speaking of, sorry, that was one thing I wanted to bring up real quick because we're we're having our Valley Girl discussion. Another missed opportunity, total blown opportunity. I guess it was out of the studio's hands. You know who was originally supposed to be the house band for Valley Girl? It wasn't the mm. not the Plimsolls. The Plimsolls were the second choice. <laughs> you know yeah. what? Which whatever Plimsolls are fine. I don't fucking hate them. But in order to make it more authentic, they if they could have scored this, it would have been sick. And you probably would have liked the Valley Girl more. X was originally supposed to be the band. Yeah, see, that's like one of the first bands I think of where it's like you could just have an X be the background band and just pay them whatever. I mean, maybe the, the maybe these movies don't have enough gravitas within the well, community for it to be worth and it. And that for was it. Because uh, I watched a documentary where they were talking about it and John Doe said, this script was a piece of shit. We're not going to be in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, unless... Unless fear, Aspheris is coming for you. Like, yeah. There's only certain directors that have um, cred right. <laughs> enough. Like Penel- Penelope Spheris, if she came knocking, you'd probably come. But um, other than that, yeah, maybe Mark Lester just doesn't. You didn't have the cred. You didn't have the cred. Clear, clearly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, questionable. Okay. <laughs> no more bad. No more bad. Okay. Questionable. Um, which your big bad was was part bad, part questionable. So, uh, but another question that I had related to that is, are they, and they being the Android teachers, are the Android teachers the only teachers in the school? Like what happens in the classrooms without Android yeah. teachers? And are they only teaching like these three subjects? And why don't we ever see any other teachers? And they couldn't conceivably teach that many kids with only three classes. Like th- there's a lot of questions as to like who's teaching at this school. It can't possibly be these three Android teachers. Yeah. I actually didn't think about that. And, but- if it's, and if it's not them, then how are the classrooms being run with regular teachers? Like how are they not just run amok? Right. So that's that was my big question that never got answered. And they just kept I just <laughs> kept thinking about that's the one that I kept thinking about. Whereas you kept thinking about, like, why are they even coming here? I kept thinking about, OK, they're here. But like I, either roll out more robo teachers, which maybe the expense of it at the end would have been too much or have the robo teachers integrated into some sort of faculty. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and also, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. But yes, fully agree. Big question. And since we, I, I said that I would bring this up in the questionable, the, the had like a whole thing. So this movie comes out in 1990. <laughs> this, this question actually reminds me of when um, Aaron came downstairs. My wife came downstairs. When I watched Class of 1984 for last season, I watched it pretty late and I decided I'd watch Class of 1999 right after. So by the time I started Class of 99, it was like three in the morning and um, she comes downstairs and I've wrapped up it and now it's like five in the morning. <laughs> I just was am finishing up Class of 99 and she's like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm, <laughs> all I said was, I'm watching Class of 99. It's a follow up to 1984, but it came out in 1990 and she's like, what? Just don't come up. Don't come to bed. <laughs> you stay. You, 
you stay downstairs tonight. Um, but that that quote that me saying that to her made me think. So this movie came out in 1990. Pretty Hate Machine came out in 1990. The movie takes place in 1999, and yet Head Like a Hole is still being rocked in this movie. So either Head Like a Hole is the jam of the decade, or this movie like couldn't help but date itself by throwing had like a hole in there. Like you could have just not put that in there and then you could still seamlessly and plausibly be like, this takes place in 1999, but throwing it in there. I'm just like, okay, obviously like that is so early nineties that maybe the movie couldn't help itself. I don't know. That was my question. Sure. But at the time, industrial music in particular dance, electronic based music, of course, was the music of the future. So, they just probably assume. Well, then you could get like some stock bullshit song, like by using a very popular yes. song from a very specific year. It's kind of like, well, isn't this supposed to take place in the future? Like that was my question. Right. Basically. I understand what you're saying. Um, Hector, uh, at one point who is the the leader of the I get, I get these fucking names confused. He is the, so the Blackhearts and the, yeah, razor the Razorheads. Not to be confused with Edgeheads. <laughs> no. Um he's the leader of the the Razorheads and Hector says at one point he says, "Oye, Flavio, take a couple of Razorheads and go to the library. I hear they have the new Ann Beatty novel and they have like a back and forth about like, "Oh, I better bring my library card." I looked up Ann Beatty, no such author. Well, that's a strange thing. Like, there's just a <laughs> fake name. I couldn't even figure out, like, who Ann Beatty was, if it was a reference to somebody. But Ann Beatty, not an author. Yeah. So that was a, a, que- a question if you had. Didn't ring any bells from uh, What's an Ann Beatty novel? There is no such thing. So, yeah. <laughs> what questions do you have? Um, <clears throat> I like this tech faux pas. Or this this misunderstanding of what do they call it? Um, I'm gonna draw a blank on it. <clears throat> uh, Moore's law is it Moore's law with the development of the what do you what with are you the development about? of the android technology? Mm-hmm. So they they boast that the android's computing power is one million megabytes. Which is a oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, what yeah. is that? That's a really one terabyte or whatever, which is like in most computers, most like laptops. Have. Yeah, that's a really good, a really good question. So it's a funny that, that they, makes yeah, no that sense. they thought, yeah, one million megabytes will totally power this sentient robot. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That can, yeah, that's like that will hold maybe U2's, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> full, <laughs> full discography now. Uh, and maybe that's all and, they needed. They needed the the androids to hold every U2. And then album. Some, I would say that that would one terabyte again for people that are more tech knowledgeable than I am, one terabyte <laughs> would hold probably the entire discography of every band that's ever come out of Ireland <laughs> or something like all two, all two of them. It's really just you two and, and thin Lizzy. But, so who cares? But in terms of powering <laughs> a, a high functioning, high intelligent AI that also is able to develop learning while it 
progresses while it its operation its its operational system progresses yeah that's it, it, it ain't it ain't like that and you know, i'm not a computer scientist i know nothing about ai i'm just making an assumption based off of my very limited layman's knowledge of computers and com- <laughs> computer technology so there's that um some of these we've already talked oh i like that it takes place in seattle which is one of the least violent cities in the U.S. Being a resident of Seattle, yeah, I thought about that dichotomy earlier. But you yeah. wouldn't know it from some of the nimby ass fucks that live up here for us. All these fucking white dickheads that think that oh my god, it's a war zone. But yeah, it's it's no, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sh- show them this movie. Be like, it could be so much it could worse. Be so much worse. This could be your kids. Um, <laughs> this is my question. When these delinquent fucking feral kids get tired of all the grab assing and and being irritating fart knockers in class, we need to be over it. Like, why is it every fucking class like, hey, fucking, I'm gonna throw paper airplanes and fucking get in a fucking tussle fight with my bro on the ground? You you would think so, <laughs> but like, yeah. Teenagers are so dumb and like one-celled creatures. <laughs> they're just they're just like yeah, a farting, yeah, the the farts and the paper airplanes and the noogies, it's just like anything to get through a day. But yeah, you'd think you'd get it would grow tiresome. From the perspective again of a of a mentally ill teenager myself through pretty much all of high school. I was the fucking, the joke telling, like, you know, fucking fuckhead that always had to be a smart ass. I was never like this. It'd be like once in a while I'd like have a little quip. Oh, so you're saying it's like a movie trope thing more so than like a reality Yeah, I just have, you know, I'd have usually, this is how it would play out. Now, obviously, this is a different scenario with this high school because it's out of control. But this is how it would play out with me every fucking time. I'd be there sitting in class, just whatever, being restless, waiting for my opportunity to make everybody laugh and piss off the teacher. And the teacher would say something and I would come back with my zinger and immediately the teacher would be like, all right, get the fuck out of here. Go down to the principal. That's And that'd be the end of it. It was usually like one good one-liner every once in a while that would get me, get my ass. You got to get it off Get early. my ass hauled <laughs> yeah. down to the principal. One example. That's all you're going right, to get. One example was in science class where we were talking about the energy metric called a joule. You know what I'm talking about? It's J-O-U-L. Yes, a joule, of course. Like a, a measurement of heat energy. And the teacher said something and I said, "Where? what about your family jewels? And I got fucking sent like that. That that got me sent to the principal. Classic. It wasn't like, oh, OK, shut Classic. up, Walker. You know what I mean? It's because it had to do with genitalia, and there's zero tolerance about talking about sex. In right. Schools. I also made a Uranus <laughs> joke, of course. That got me sent to the principal. Really? Come on. Yeah. Also, if you have Pam Greer as a teacher, you'd think that would be a reason to pay attention. Pay, yeah. All eyes fixed on the Like, as the soon room. as Pam Greer, like, walks into the room, I just, everything would slow down, and I would just be like, she moves in mysterious ways. There we go. 
I'm going to have to edit out all these U2 references. You know that? But I'm up to four. <laughs> Let's see if I can get to <laughs> get to eight. Okay, I have uh, I have a bunch more, but uh, time's ticking. You want me to just knock them out, or do you want to? You have your own. Pick your best one so we can oh, move on. Shit. Okay. Why? Why would the androids all be just shacking up together in this like shitty condo? I had that same thought when he stole the directory, and it and it's like they're all living together. I I would love a sitcom of just like them sitting to dinner to like you know, huff, uh, WD 40 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Pl- plug. yeah. I don't know what's going on. They have their, like their 1988 USB cable or whatever that's been developed by the military. That they can plug into their high powered. Um, yeah, their high powered re-energizing device, a recharging device, which also it's, it's a strange thing, but, uh, who knows? Maybe they, for time purposes, they're like, well, we can't have them all live in different houses. Yeah. You, well, you would think, but that's more. Why do they have to live in a house? They have somewhere like Dr. Bob is administering the, the activity of the androids. <laughs> that's actually a really good question. Why do they live? Why in do a they house? live in a house? <laughs> well, not like, the, not like, why are they shacking up together? Why, but why do they why, live? Like, actually it makes sense that they're all together, but like, yeah, why are they like paying rent? Yeah. They have a condo. <laughs> they have the facade that they all live. To, they live together in this empty yeah, condo that has some clothing and some, you know, yeah, that's good, though. I like I that don't question. I don't get it. But also because they seem to have all the apparatus and, and outward facing appearance of humans. And it's also been shown that Pam Greer has been designed to have an actual tit. Do you think there's like some like weird like Android, like MMF kind of action going on after hours? Well, yeah. How else would they make an army of them? Yeah. Or just the release a little tension. Bryles and the old man bot both are like DPN. Pam Grier. Well, what if when Christy and Cody were like, you know, taking the motorcycle over to the to the house and they get in and they're not there. And then it's like, well, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. All right, now you've crossed the threshold. You got to knock, knock it off. Five. Knock it off. The U2 up to up to five. Okay. That was This is coming from someone who doesn't like U2. So if I can name this many songs, it's actually impressive. Yeah, but who can't name all the big U2 hits? Even like or dislike. That's you know, I would be impressed if you dug into in the deep cuts, which I can because I like U2 from a certain point on. So I can do that. Yeah, but I'm not coming from that perspective. Of course I can't. Yeah. I'm not going to do it, though. I'm not going to give you that much. It's fine. <laughs> I'm up to five. I'm going to try to get to eight. Ah, please don't. Are you ready to move on? <laughs> do you have any questions? I'm not sure I can think of. I'm, I'm not sure if I can think of any more, though. We'll see how this goes. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I can't hear you! Way to go! All right, let's make several things perfectly clear, shall we? This 
is going to be the most difficult history course you ever had for you. <laughs> Expect a whistle. A test every two weeks. Two hours of homework each and every night for the remainder of the year for the rest of your life. Something, something a little more important. I operate from a model of absolute zero tolerance. So, all right. Um, so, let's uh, get into our awards. Let's give away some some real some real dinged up Oscars. That's what we should rename this: the dinged up Oscars <laughs> category. The David Mendenhall Award goes to the worst performance. Who do you give that dinged up Oscar to? It was either going to be Cody Culp or his girlfriend. Really? Yeah. Okay. So which one? His girlfriend. I put um, his girlfriend's played by Tracy Lind. I, I I thought Christie's performance was lack, lacked some some energy, but I feel like Malcolm McDowell doesn't want to be in this movie. <laughs> like I is I read that he shot for only two days on this thing, and it it definitely shows. Like he just feels disconnected from the rest of the cast and does not uh, act as if he even cares. Yeah. Um. So I went with him. That that makes sense too. I I did kind of think that he would also fit in this category, but the Frank Booth award, which goes to the character who best belongs in a David Lynch movie. Um, who did you give that Dr. to Bob? I, so I definitely agreed that Stacy Keach is given off some good weirdo David Lynch energy. I said, because I could never see David Lynch casting like, <laughs> That rat-tailed, contacted albino freak. Um, <laughs> specifically, I thought there was like a, a vapidity and soullessness to Pam Greer's performance as uh, Miss Connors, which lends itself to a David Lynch movie. Like I could see her in Mulholland Drive or something, like being real vapid and, uh, you know, distant behind the eyes. Um, so I said Pam Greer's performance. Fair enough. <laughs> The E.G. Daily Secret Admirer Award, which goes to the biggest on-screen crush. I thought last week, where, where, whereas last week was a uh, a boner at gunpoint, <laughs> I think this is a real uh, boner of so Sophie's Choice boner here. Because <laughs> uh, really between... Christy, whose performance is not that great, but Christy and Loki Dawn, who's in the Blackhearts, who has some lines, but is mainly in the background being angry and like holding an Uzi. Uh, I think it's between Christy and Dawn for me. And I would actually lean towards Dawn. I uh, I kind of like her energy. And since she doesn't have a lot of lines, she doesn't get to fuck up the performance. There was part of me that wanted to go with Christy. And I know that the actress that played this movie did exceed 
legal what would be considered legal and appropriate she's 20 when it came uh, well she was born in 68 i think because i looked it yeah, up so she, as well. been, she was born in 68 she was at so, least yeah, 20 she was at least 19 right. so yeah. yes i understand but she does come off as very young in this so i did have a little bit of an ethical conflict mentally about choosing her yeah this is <laughs> this is a strange category when we choose a movie that's supposed to be in high school um but yeah, I mean, I mean, my nominations in the most innocent way possible. I understand. <laughs> I, I understand. A, I can't stress that a, enough. But I, I agree. It's a crush until you talk about all the boners, and then you you cross a line. That's true. Fuck. I called it a Sophie's Choice so boner. Damn it. You just you're out in yourself <sighs> here. Uh oh. Are we gonna man? Uh-oh. Are we gonna get like some Gary Glitter? You know, we're gonna get on an on a watch, yeah, watch list. This, this award is getting us in. This award is getting us in hot water. You picked the 13-year-old child prostitute from last week. I did not. You picked it for me, (laughs) Pete Townsend. (laughs) Fuck. Just doing research. This award is... I step up to the mic. There's lots of feedback. This award has been canceled. (laughs) Everyone exit. Exit accordingly. Um, Because. No, I I stand by Dawn. Fair enough. Dawn Dawn does. If you can hold an Uzi and you can uh, be drafted, then you're uh, up for this award. And also, (laughs) it's it's kind of uh, implied that most of these students have been held back quite a few grades. So. For all That's we know, true. Don is yeah, 23, yeah. actually 23 um, in reality and in the movie. So, but to avoid any of these potential mental pitfalls, I just pick Pam Greer because come on, man. Hubba, hubba. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but you, you picked her for the well, other one, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe if I didn't, she would be in my head for this one. Ah, well. Okay. I regret nothing. Um, anyway. <laughs> welcome to Primetime Bitch Award goes to the best one-liner. Uh, this one, we haven't talked about this in the good. I, I should have mentioned it. It is rife with one-liners constantly. Good ones, too. Uh, I'm not usually um, one for this category of just listing off one-liners, but I I particularly loved some of the quotes in this movie. What did you have? There was one in particular that stood out and I don't know about you. I'm sure this is similar, but my metric generally for extracting the good one-liners is I'm always thinking what would be the best kick-ass soundbite in a, in a song, of course, oh, you know, that's like good. Yeah. Wh- which one of these would kick off a fucking rad four on the floor, industrial jammer speaking of industrial music but the one mm. that really stood out for me and i'm i might have to use even though using sound bites from movies is a legally not really a thing you can do anymore and they've made it pretty strict that you can't put any copyrighted material in music that gets pressed and distributed but also it's kind of a it's a dated kind of thing that bands don't really engage in as much but yeah, that's true. Yeah, unfortunately, but I really want to put this in a song somewhere. But it's, it's when he says, "Now I'm going in there to waste some teachers." Are you with me? Just mm, chef kiss. I didn't even have that one oh, down. Dude, that was so good. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's that's great. Um, the that pizza punk. I think his name is Noser. <laughs> when uh, 
Pam Greer comes sniffing around. He's like, what the fuck? Am I late for night school, bitch? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love that one. These are my runner ups. That one. Hector at one point says, or someone asked uh, Hector, do you trust him? And he's like, yeah, like a vampire giving me a blowjob. That one's right up there. Everyone is giving Severin from near dark uh, quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um. There, one more runner-up, uh, Cody, after blowing up uh, Ms. Goners, says, I guess I blew that course, which is fucking awesome. And if that wasn't awesome enough, he doubles down when Hector asks where Ms. Connors is. He goes, she's toast. Which yeah, it's great. Just a great back and forth. But the one I picked for the for this award would not have even been on my purview if I didn't watch this with subtitles on in Spanish. When uh, Ms. Connors has her pulls apart her Android chest cavity and exposes her bionic breasts uh, on my screen, you can hear Hector saying tiene bionic tetas. She has bionic tits, which is fucking <laughs> Awesome. So if you are a Latino punk band looking for a quote, movie quote to start an album, TNA Bionic Tetas takes the fucking cake. That is a good one. That is fucking awesome. That's mine. TNA Bionic Tetas is my my award. When we were talking about, well, okay. I was going to say, when we were talking yeah. about the, the one liners here, it did make me think about maybe what some of my issues were with. Uh, the dude that played Cody Phillip from Ray Moyers. Yeah. Um, it's because it's this, it's this mini me teen attempt at playing like the, the squinty eyed pursed lips kind of horse action guy role, like the Steven Seagal, it's 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 kind of a hammy way, a hammy attempt at it. You know what I mean? It's trying to like, yeah, really, you know, that's his interpretation of, a, of what an action, a, a hunky testosterone fueled antihero should be portrayed at. He's delivering Stallone lines only while being featured on Team right. Beat. <laughs> so it's a weird dichotomy. Yeah. Anyways. So to round this out um, in the wiki wormhole, our trivia research category, we always start with the body count. The record has been set by Dead Alive at 87. This I found on like (laughs) Killopedia or whatever the fuck, which has a very detailed list of all the deaths. This is at 36. Because at one point I had to stop counting because once they have the gang fight at the pier, it's like, I don't even know how many people are dying here. Um, So, uh, you know, a a good round number. Um, Malcolm McDowell only worked two days on this film. I already said that. This, I don't know if you even caught. I went back but could not really find it. This is the debut of Rose McGowan? Yeah, I still don't know where (laughs) she is in this movie. I couldn't find her. She's in a couple scenes with Pam Greer and John Ryan. Yeah. I don't even know. Nope. That is Poorly bizarre. Mr. 
This was Pam Greer's first film after a bout with a personal illness that kept her away from working for a period of time. So that's cool that this is like her comeback role um, of sorts. Um, this was uh, the last film to have been released theatrically by Taurus Enterprise Company, which um, this goes into all of the like distribution rights, like every every uh, studio that signed on to release this like went under or had some sort of fucking issue for some reason. Um, so yeah, this is their last release. Um, John P. Ryan, Pam Greer and, and, uh, Patrick Kilpatrick, which we have not talked about the fact that Bryles or as I like to call him, Bryles bot, the actor who plays him is his name is Patrick Kilpatrick. What a <laughs> fucking name. That's like, uh, the suicide note that I would leave my family. Like they would be like, oh my God, what happened? And open it up and it would just say, Patrick, kill Patrick. And they'd be like, no. <laughs> what the fuck? How is that a name? Patrick, kill Patrick, playing a kill bot. Playing a kill bot, aka my suicide note. Um, is this a picture that you just sent me of Rose McGowan? In the movie. Weird. This looks like it was just like a shot on the set. I know. <laughs> Very strange. Yeah. That is her, though. It's definitely her. Um, it was Stacy Keach's idea uh, to play Dr. Forrest as an albino villain. I didn't really get the albino uh, quality. His hair is like a white blonde color, but I didn't like it wasn't like that's an albino. Yeah, his skin tone um, is definitely not. Uh, indicative of albinism. No, not at all. Albinism, yeah. <laughs> um, according to Mark Lester, the two films that influenced the visual style of this film are Road Warrior and Asphalt Jungle. Road Warrior influences are noticeable in the look of the cars and the school itself on the outside. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. There's a shot of a school bus in the background going by that has like a, uh, a Road Warrior mechanism built into the front and on the sides of it. That's really fucking cool. Yeah. Stacey Keach and Pam Greer would go on to both appear in Escape from L.A., which came out in 1997, which is very strange because they're both like dystopian gang movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, the battle on the pier uh, was it took four days to film, according to director Mark Lester. He stated that they had to contend with downpours, mud and constant reloading of the weapons needed for the scene. So sounds like kind of a fucking logistical nightmare um this was bradley Gregg's only starring role so other people agreed with you of his <laughs> lack of leading leading man yeah, he didn't have the chops leading, i'm pretty sure this leading boy yeah qualities. this sunk his career as a leading guy it took about 10 puppeteers to work the Bryles bot in the climactic battle between him and Cody in the um, machine shop finale. Uh, that is a real, <laughs> that's some real cool shit. That's back when you just get 10 fucking dorks together and to operate a, <laughs> a piece of, of filmmaking machinery. I, I love the conceptualism of the practical effects from these, from this time specifically. Um, it just really it it shows in the final product, and I I fucking love that that Bryles Android at the it's end. Great. The good old days. The, the yeah, the good old days. 
Um, Jill Gatsby, who plays Dawn, uh, who was my EG Daily Award recipient, um, is the daughter of Larry Cohen in real yeah, life. I did so read that. That's a strange little one. I saved these these two for um, the end. Well, and, and whatever else you have. Patrick Kilpatrick ran for governor of California in twenty twenty one in the twenty twenty one recall election as a Democrat. Apparently, mm. um, so that's fucking wild. And Midge Err, back to him, um, was in Thin Lizzy, and I didn't even know it. What the fuck? Amid, amidst being in a number of of bands, um, he actually wrote one of my favorite Thin Lizzy songs, "Get Out of Here." Well, he he co-wrote "Get Out of Here" with uh, with Phil Lynette, um, and sounds like he like substituted in when someone had like uh, you know an overdose or couldn't tour because of <laughs> various drug related reasons. He would step in. Um, so he wasn't like, I wouldn't say he's like a member of Thin Lizzy, but he definitely stepped in, co-wrote some songs and uh, toured with them for a little bit. Yeah, he's so like, that's kind he's of like the Bob Daisley of, of which Bob Daisley is the keyboardist. Again, I don't want to don't anybody hold me to what I'm saying right now because my brain's half working and, and this is like trivia, I should know. But yeah, Bob Daisley being a constant member and. Ozzy Osbourne's band that never was fully credited as being a a full time member. Midger, similar, also notable for being, I think, the vocalist, the front guy for Visage that had some bangers. Yes, yeah. So he's a legit yeah. dude, and yeah. I can see why he was bummed out on this movie and his song. So hey, sorry, can't win them all. I know, I know that he's bummed about it, um, but yeah, and I am too. Uh, his him saying like he didn't like the movie or the song like, well fuck you your your song is is <laughs> the worst part of the movie one of the worst parts of the movie so don't don't drag the movie because your song sucked there's so many songs that could have closed that could have closed the movie it, it that's just not one of sorry them. just so I correct myself because I don't want to be an idiot after I I listen back to this Bob Daisley was a bass player with Ozzy Osbourne I knew it was like bass player or keyboardist anyways mm. there you go sorry. I just want to correct myself for anybody listening. And the, there we go. I don't That's have anything. I, I yeah. had in, in my research. Okay. I, I was okay. letting Jesus take the, the wheel any... with that one. So you being Jesus. So to wrap up, let's assign a rating um, out of what iconography do we want to use for, for tonight's movie? Do we want to use out of five... Torched up robo tits. Robo t- okay, robo tits or five crushed, nearly obliterated, crawling out from under the wreckage. Bryles, 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 which let's just do the robo tits out of five robo tits. Yeah, <laughs> five robo tits, an odd number of robo tits. Um, I give this a solid four out of okay. five. I loved it. I I thought it was fucking great. Anything above that would mean that it had some sort of uh, redeeming or like Oscar worthy worthy quality to it, which it doesn't. But it's a fun ass fucking. By our metrics, I loved it. Yeah, I was gonna say by our metrics, that would be putting it in the same category as Manhunter, which 
This is a hard thing to rate. Yeah, because like when we give fives out, we're basically saying like it's a strange podcast because we we review flawed films. And so to give something five would mean that we are saying that it is flawless. So really us rating these movies in general seems nonsensical because why would anything get a five? But Manhunter did. So whatever. Hey. What did we give Dead Alive? Did Dead Alive yeah, get a so five? Got a five. <laughs> See, I don't know. Yeah, hey, I'm, now I'm in my own headspace. Imagine that two guys that are not professionals that don't know shit are making arbitrary judgment calls. <laughs> on who would have thunk it? I'm gonna I'm gonna be generous and give this a three. If I was being mean, I'd be okay. I'd be giving it a two and a half. I'll give it a three. Would you give 1984? Probably a three. Also three and a half. So you you like this no more no less than eighty four. If I had to go back, I would I would maybe I don't know. Fuck, I don't know. I would rewatch this like in a heartbeat, and I would be more skeptical about rewatching eighty four. Although I would because I own it, but I would watch this again because it was. So I'm, gonna much do, fun. I'm gonna do for my own personal edification and an understanding of how I should think about these movies. I'm going to do a, I'm going to do what you did. Eventually I'm going to do a double, a double feature for both of them someday. Hmm. Hmm. That'll, that'll be a good four hours. Well spent. So what's uh, up uh, on the docket for next week? I'm going to go back to revisiting the oeuvre of my man. Jim Van Beber. And for the next episode, I'm going to watch his ni- late 90s, 1997, I think, came out. Opus, The Manson Family. It's, I think, for, right. for Van Beber fans, it's, it's a hard, it's hard call to choose between a favorite, between this and Deadbeat at Dawn. I would say Deadbeat at Dawn overall edges it out a bit. This movie is wild fucking ride and we might potentially have another dial a dude set segment i i never like to confirm these before because schedules change people actually listen to the podcast and be like i don't want to be on this fucking thing get me off this piece of shit no I'm just kidding that would be our biggest uh <laughs> yeah that, that's the biggest drawback if anyone actually listens to this they'll they'll think twice about actually being on here um so we may or may not have a guest next week. We're going back to uh, Van Beber territory. Justin Bieber fans are called Believers. So should we call ourselves Van, Van Believers? Be- Be- Believers. Van Van Beeblers. Beeblers. Yeah. Oh, I did want to make. I did yeah, want to make note. Us. Sorry that we might have a multi dialer dude. We'll see how it turns out. It might be complete and utter chaos. This is all very up in the air. This is awful already. So don't tune in next week. For sure. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music is brought to you by an upstart band by the name of Nine Inch Nails with Head Like a Hole. If you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod. For Adam Walker, I'm Pat Mitchell. See you next week.